expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's time. It's time. Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Gavin. Yeah, good evening. And from Taichung, we're joined by Compass Magazine's Donovan Smith. Donovan, how you doing? Uh, good to be here. Starting off with the story that's been dominating the headlines and TV screens over the last week, uh, it's been a little bit more than a week now since revelations emerged that a large tour group was granted access to a restricted military base in Taoyuan County. And since then, the controversy surrounding the incident has exploded, with the military facing criticism for an apparent breakdown in its chain of command. Uh, that particular tour, led by Lieutenant Colonel Lao Nai Chung, who, uh, who has been at the center of the controversy since the beginning, uh, took place on March 29th, and that saw 26 unauthorized civilians, including TV personality Janet Lee, uh, and some foreign nationals enter the base. Uh, since then, it's become clear this was by no means an isolated incident. We've had revelations of another tour group led by an even higher-ranking officer taking place in February as well. Uh, so this is kind of ballooned. It touches on a lot of personnel in the military. A lot of people have been uh, kind of scooped up in this and are facing criticism or possible demerits. Uh, Gavin, what can you tell us about how the investigation into this and uh, the public scrutiny into this is kind of progressed at this point? Well, of course, Defense Minister Gao Guangzhou offered to resign this Wednesday, but of course the presidential office re- refused to accept the resignation of the defence minister, citing that the fact that President Ma Ying-jeou believed that Gao should remain in his post to consolidate discipline within the armed forces and allow the island's military to m- morale to be maintained. And also, I think Ma might have been a, f- a bit wary of losing combat readiness had his administration lost yet another defence minister. And then even beyond, you know, this very high-ranking official, how many uh, how many military officers have been swept in, up into this so far? Well, there's there's about twelve so far have been questioned, and the highest-ranking official so far to have faced disciplinary is a major general. So it goes quite high up in the ranks. And uh, going back to Lao Nai Chung, at, at this point, it's pretty clear he's going to have an early retirement. He, he retires early. By the end of the year, he's got a year to go. Now he's being pushed out, but he gets his pension. Hmm. Which is uh, quite nice, because it's quite a hefty pension. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there, there has been some criticism of that, hasn't there? Well, been, of course, this, the pension issue goes back to a January case. January or No, sorry, early March, when the Supreme Court sentenced a retired vice admiral to 14 months in prison. But he attempted to pass on classified defence-related information to China. And it transpired that after his sentencing, he was also allowed to keep his pension of about 70,000 NT a month. And and so some people would feel like even though you're kicked out, you still get a lot of the benefits of having been in the military. Uh, okay, so this kind of is a nice way of getting into the broader implications that this whole thing raises. Of course, there's chain of command issues. There's information security issues. Uh, in, in, in your regard, what do you think are the major issues that the military is going to want to be looking at uh, because of this case, Gavin? Obviously, base security is now a big issue. The defence minister came out Thursday of this week and he called for a complete review of the standard operating procedure of base security, saying, you know, the officers must tell the lower-ranked people how to do it. 
And it must not, just because you've got a, a squaddy, um, a grunt or whatever you want to call him, at the gate, it doesn't mean he's in charge. He has a commanding officer whose job it is to oversee who he lets on the base. And, and of course, this also kind of raises issues of uh, professionalism in the military. Some people feel like, you know, some privileges that are given to commanding officers that they might not really uh, be fully appreciating or they might be abusing. Well, but the defense minister's exact words were he wishes to rid the military of what he called the culture of giving preferential treatment to family and friends of ranking officers. Uh, Donovan, anything you want to add there? Uh, yeah, on a totally different tack. Sort of going back to what you were saying earlier before about uh, the preferential treatment, something that I thought that, that struck me here was what, that Hong Si-yong, the, uh, the sister of the corporal who died after attempting to bring a cell phone onto the base, uh, he, was, he was punished for that and he died. And that, of course, led to the protest with the hundreds of thousands of people. Her comment was that uh, privileges uh, have their uses, and uh, she thought this was Tai Li Pu. Uh, she also said that it was uh, it was a joke, essentially, and I, I thought that was kind of poignant coming from her. Uh, obviously, trying to bring a cell phone onto a base and leading to a punishment that leads to a death, and then this. You're of course referring to Corporal Hong Chong Chio, who uh, was you know a low-ranking uh, military person, and then when he brought a, a cell phone onto the base, uh, a very harsh punishment that he received resulted in his death. So this really does uh, strike a lot of sore nerves, I would say, in Taiwan. In, in, yeah, in, in that from that angle, yeah. I actually feel sorry for the poor celebrity. Oh, Janet Lee. Because it's not her fault. She was invited to the military base by a friend of a friend, and she posed for photographs, and no one stopped her. And now the poor woman's become all the centre of the attention and basically being blamed for doing something that she really had no clue that she was doing anything wrong. And ironically, of course, the the military right now is trying to get more people to to join and and to... uh, uh, volunteer to to join the military, and she was uh, she I think thought she was bringing some positive attention to the military, which in theory would would help recruitment. On over to the uh, international implications of this, uh, some folks in government have raised concerns that this could perhaps damage. Uh, relations with the U.S., those were American uh, choppers that were having photos taken of them, and some people thought, well, okay, maybe this is going to make the U.S. a little bit more nervous about giving military hardware to Taiwan. But there has been some signs that uh, the U.S. isn't quite as concerned about uh, this whole incident as uh, folks are here in Taiwan. Earlier this week, ICRT spoke with Rick Fisher, a senior fellow at Security Think Tank International Assessment and Strategy Center, and he said it's not likely to be a major security issue between the two countries. There does appear to be an issue with the chain of command at this base. But in terms of letting civilians have access to military hardware, the level of access granted to the uh, television reporter and her friends does not appear to exceed that which uh, many Americans enjoy at uh, any number of air shows in the United States in any given year. Yeah, I, I, I personally, I, I don't think that the, the U.S. Is going, is going to consider Janet Lee a major security risk. I believe that uh, MTV VJs are considered low risk. <laughs> yes, uh, that's a salient security point. Um, the American Institute in Taiwan has also said, at least publicly, uh, that the incident hasn't caused any change in ties between Taiwan and the U.S., 
Uh, although, Gavin, you've pointed out a couple of times that this is no ordinary base, and so you know the 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 level of. But it security- was a very it was a very restricted special forces base, right? So it wasn't like grunts climbing hills in Nanto County, right? It was like serious soldiers doing yeah. serious soldier things. <laughs> Hey, are you saying that Nanto soldiers are not serious? Well, I'm making it, making, well, making it obviously sounding, you know, it was, it was, it's a very restricted base is my point there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to tread lightly there. Don't want to uh, mess with any Nanto soldiers, to be sure. There, there is something of a political backlash, obviously, uh, with one KM, KMT legislator saying, oh, we, we are letting them become toys, referring to the helicopters, and the military camp and entertainment park. How are we to face our ally, referring obviously to the United States? Right. So even if the U.S. is indicating maybe not an issue for them, uh, you know, as long as that perception is there, this is going to remain a hot button issue. All right. Well, uh, we're going to have to leave that there. Of course, uh, investigations are ongoing, so there will be more to say about it. Uh, But something else is finally here. No, not the much needed rains we've been waiting for. Instead, Phase 3 water rationing went into effect this week, affecting New Taipei, Taoyuan City, and Shinju County. Uh, This kicked off at 12 a.m. Wednesday morning when water was cut off to almost all of Taoyuan, along with Hukou and Shifeng townships in Shinju and Limco District and certain areas of Wugu and Taishan districts in New Taipei. Uh, Now, these areas are facing two-day rolling shutoffs, meaning the water was turned back on today in those areas, uh, but was shut off in other districts, and that cycle is going to continue throughout the week. Uh, So, Gavin, how have uh, residents been dealing with this so far? Well, of course, residents of Shulin, Banqiao, Ugu, Xinjiang, and Taishan in New Taipei, and parts of Guishan District in Taoyuan, are having their water cut off as we speak. Because, of course, they are now going through the water shortages. Right. And apparently, well, you know, the local governments are playing down. I mean, there's been no TV coverage, hasn't shown major lines of people standing outside water trucks so far. But the local governments are laying on water trucks. And, of course, their websites are quite useful because they're actually explaining where the water trucks are going to be at certain times. So there doesn't seem to have been any major problems so far. But, of course, we're only day three into this. Right. And uh, it sounds like there's some indications that this may get even more severe. There have been hints of this, actually, in the north, before we pop off to Donovan in the south and centre. The economics ministry has said that they could consider tightening the water rationing in northern Taiwan and possibly cutting off the water supply for two days every two days in the affected areas and possibly other areas. So they'd be facing shutoffs even more days out of the week. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the current water rationing scheme is for an indefinite period of time. The government haven't said it's for two weeks, three weeks, one week. They haven't put a timetable on when it could finish. Right. So uh, really, uncle- maybe this could be all summer, um, which would be a very long time to be facing this. Uh, that's a quick look at what's going on up north. Uh, Donovan, what, uh, what have people been talking about down south? It, it does sound like uh, there might be water rationing earlier than we had expected down there. Yeah, that definitely is the case. It could go into effect in, in May. Um, basically, the problem is, 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 I mean, obviously down in Kaohsiung, they have a particular problem with the Gaoping River, with its water supply is already now half of what it normally is, and Kaohsiung relies entirely on the Gaoping River for its water. But fundamentally, the problem is, is a national one with a leaky water 
the the delivery system is leaky. There's a lot of silt buildup, especially in uh, Nanto and in Mialdi, and uh, there's a lot of wastage because essentially the water the water pricing is way too low. Taiwan has some of the lowest priced water in in the world, and so people essentially don't really conserve it. There's also two water prices there. Remember Donovan, because us in Taipei. We actually pay a different price to you in Taichung because we have the Taipei Water Company, whereas you have a different water company. You have the National Water Company. Yes, Taipei City has a, has its own water. It is the only only municipality that has its own water pricing separate from the rest of the country. That's correct. Yeah. And、uh, does there seem to be any signs that the government is really taking on these issues that we've addressed here? I mean, I, I have heard some rumblings about raising water prices. How serious do you, do we think this is going to be?、Uh, there is actually. A, I saw an opinion poll which suggested that. The public right now. Now, admittedly, the, the, the poll was taken just before the、uh, the, the cutoffs took effect, but that that the, the public was broadly in support of about a five to ten percent increase in price, and that was about it. I guess there'll probably be a backlash. Every time they say we're going to raise electricity prices, there's a huge public backlash, and they go, "Oh no, not today." Donovan, if you could give us a sense, if there was third phase、uh, water rationing down south,、uh, it seems like so far it's going pretty smoothly up、uh, north in Taipei.、Uh, would this be would would residents down there see this as a huge imposition? Would it be more difficult to handle down there? I, I, frankly, I don't. I don't think there's any major difference in that.、Um, I, essentially, you know, people here and people in the north are going to have pretty much the same problems. Really, a lot of it has to do with the capacity of the.、Uh, The tanks and the roofs, and whether or not there there are more rains,、uh, that's that's going to be that's really the big issue.、Um, now, here's a quote which I have, which is: "We may have delayed or no monsoon rains at all. We urge the public to cooperate during this difficult time." And that's from the water authorities, and that's that's very alarming if you really think about it. If there are no typhoon rains this summer, then we're going to have major major problems come the fall. All right. Well, a story that we're going to continue following as well. All right. Now on to politics. We're just a little under a year away from Taiwan's presidential election, and still a little bit too far off for the campaigns to get into full swing.、Uh, but this week there was a little bit of campaign news for both of the major parties and some of the smaller ones too. And we're going to try to hit each one real, real quick.、Uh, first up,、uh, let's talk about the KMT, who、uh, has announced some of its nomination procedures that it's going to use for its presidential candidate. Yes, the KMT's Central Standing Committee earlier this week,、uh, Wednesday, I believed, sat down and thrashed out its presidential nomination procedure and schedule. And apparently, it kicks off about the twentieth of this month, the twentieth of April. Candidates or would-be aspirant presidential candidates can then go out. And begin getting signatures to become the president. Yeah, they'll, they'll announce they'll announce the rules on the fifteenth, I believe. Yeah, yeah. But、uh, of course, there's been a little bit of controversy about how they're going to select those candidates. Whether it's going to be、uh, purely determined by、uh, polling, or whether or not KMT members are going to have some amount of say in the decision as well.、Uh, and we still don't know how that's going to be resolved, do we? No, I mean, right now, the 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 DPP has moved to a hundred percent. Using、uh, opinion polls, but the KMT is still on a seventy thirty seventy percent opinion poll, thirty percent on the、um, party members. Generally speaking, people who support Wang Jinping are in favor of moving to the hundred、uh, percent, whereas those who support generally the traditional party elites are are still want to have a, a major voice for party members. So it kind of breaks down、uh, candidate lines there. Right, I believe June the fifteenth or the fourteenth is the day they will be announcing their candidate.
So that's when we will know. Yep. All right, so uh, that's a quick look at the KMT. Over to the DPP. Uh, now, this is something that we hear a lot about, uh, little rumblings of it here and there in the news. But here, uh, this week, we heard a lot about the DPP's China policy, basically how it regards Taiwan in relation to China, which is an indication of what those relationships would be like uh, if we had DPP uh, leadership in place. Uh, what, what have we been hearing this week, Gavin? Well, we've got Hong Jia Chung, who, of course, is a senior member of the DPP and once served as the party's top negotiator with China. He called earlier this week for the DPP to give up its de jure independence clause if it returns to power in 2016. And, of course, former Premier Frank Scher, also of the DPP, turned round earlier this week also and called on the party to, in his words, handle its China policy well ahead of the 2016 election. So quite critical and quite high-ranking heavyweight DPP people voicing some criticism about what some consider to be the DPP's rather wishy-washy cross-strait policy. Right, and and so my, my, my overall sense of this this week is you had people on calling from basically every side of, of this issue wanting to get rid of a more independence-leaning platform or wanting to uh, maintain a more independence-leaning uh, platform. Is, is that kind of where we're at with the DPP at this point? Just lots of people kind of uh, fighting it out? Is there any indication of where this is heading towards? Well, of course, the, Fra- the Premier, former Premier Frank Scher, did say that he believes that cross-strait policy needs the support of more than 60% of the public to be a success. And according to Share, the DPP's current China policy only has the approval rating of about 30% of the public. Which he, he also quoted 30% of the public as supporting the KMT's pro-unification policies. Uh, Donovan, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, to me this, this smells like they're fighting the last war. Um, the, the, what's changed, I think, since the 2012 election is... And I think the sunflower sort of movement showed this is that people's identification and uh, trust in obviously the trust in, in the KMT to to manage this process has dropped is greatly diminished. So I think that my my, my suspicion is that Taiwan is going to keep a pretty hard line this time, and which didn't work well in twenty in twenty twelve. But I think this year might 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 play better for the 2016 election. All right. Uh, well, another point of pressure that the DPP is facing is uh, new parties that have come out recently, including the Social Democratic Party. Uh, and there's been kind of the, the, the big question has been how closely aligned uh, are these new parties going to be with the DPP? Because Social Democratic Party, New Power Party, both of these are left-leaning, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but are they going to be left-leaning in the DPP camp or are they going to be left-leaning fighting uh, to go further than the DPP. Uh, and this week's we got some indications of that, right, Kevin? Yeah, the DPP came out on Wednesday and said it would postpone its plans to nominate legislative candidates, of course that's for January's election, in 13 constituencies. This will, of course, is as the DPP hopes to cosy up to the Social Democratic Party and the New Power Party as sort of allies. Rather than nominating their own candidates, they'll hope that one of these parties will nominate a candidate and they can ride on the coattails of the DPP or run alongside the DPP as sort of a coalition candidate. Well, the SDP actually came out explicitly this week and said that they will definitely not ally or work with the DPP. Now, the NPP seems to be a little bit more, uh, the new power party seems to be a little bit more uh, flexible. Freddie Lim actually backed off his run in the Daan district of Taipei when the SDP announced their candidate for that 
uh, constituency, and he moved to a different one to accommodate them. So it seems like the SDP is taking a very hard line, but the the NPP seems to be a little bit more flexible. They seem to be uh, wanting to work more with other people. So at this point, uh, it seems like this may actually, in the end, uh, be bad for uh, both major political parties. It might be a sign that they're both going to lose power. Is that the read that you guys have on it at this point? Uh, my read on this is actually the KMT is, gonna, is, is the one that's actually more in trouble, even though the the issues that the SDP and the uh, NPP are bringing up would appeal more to uh, DPP voters. I think that there's a there's there's going to be a mass exodus of KMT voters, as we saw in the nine one elections. I think it's actually going to be the same or worse in the coming elections. Right, of course, I believe both the SDP and the NPP intend to field at least ten candidates in next year's legislative race. Yeah, at least yes. Yeah, it seems like it's going to have uh, pretty wide ranging implications. All right, uh, so we're going to have to leave the dismal subject of politics behind for the dismaler subject of traffic. Last week when we did the show just getting into the long holiday weekend, uh, I think it's fair to say that we were more expecting the big jam-ups to be on the roads heading down to Kunding for uh, Spring Scream. Uh, And, you know, that definitely wasn't a fun trip or anything, but it was the major traffic jams on another stretch of road that attracted headlines this week. National Freeway 5, running between Taipei and Elan, saw major delays uh, leading to widespread public criticism of the government for what many say is a lack of adequate traffic preparation. So so I wasn't on Freeway 5. Uh, what was it like over the weekend? I, I wasn't on Freeway 5 either. But it does seem that Freeway 5 was the major problem. Now, the Deputy uh, Director General of the National Freeway Bureau uh, said that while Freeway 5 currently employs high-occupancy traffic management during weekends, the ministry has also considered an odd, even, numbered license plate traffic flow rationing method. Now, the, the ministry plans to set up e-tag scanning points at Elan's main roads to understand whereabouts of vehicles entering Elan through Freeway 5, and they plan to use this to build a, quote, more attractive public transportation system to, and to monitor citizens' touring habits. Now, the part that I found a little bit alarming here, they reassure that the e-tag scanning will not store license plate numbers for, quote, illegal purposes. Now, that begs the question of, well, then what are they storing them for? For the, for the license plates, I'm a little unclear. When they say rationing, do they mean you won't be able to go on this freeway if you have, you know, an odd-numbered license plate? Is that what they're saying? Well, that's what they're, con- they're considering that, yes. Essentially, if you have an odd or an even-numbered license plate, so, for example, if your, 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 your license plate ends in a 2, which would be an even one, then you can't go on on a certain day. That's what they're considering doing. Hmm. That, 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 that does <laughs> seem rather severe. Well, they had apparently the number of vehicles reached between 2.3 and 2.6 million on the island's highways at the peak of the weekend travel on Sunday, last Sunday, the second to last day of the tomb-sweeping holiday. So just far more than they could actually accommodate. Far more you can accommodate, especially on Highway Number 5. Right. Which, of course, is not a very long highway, and it's a very short distance between Taipei and Ilan. But when you get that much, I mean, millions of cars on it, obviously those 2.3, 2.6 million were island-wide. But when you get at least 500,000 cars on one road, you're going to get problems. Any indication? I mean, were there any proposals about increasing the number of roads? Well, to, to be in Taipei and Elan, that's a bit difficult to increase the number of roads between Taipei and Elan. There's a dirty great mountain in the way. <laughs> 
believe Coenja's already gotten a little trouble over some of those proposals. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, until you get more roads in there, maybe a difficult problem to really uh, take complete control over. All right, well, we're going to have to leave it there for this evening. That's it for the show today. You can leave us your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Mancone, joined as always by Gavin Phipps. Thank you, Gavin. Yes, good night. And Donovan Smith. Thank you as well. And thank you. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, www.icrt.com.tw. Now, keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT-FM 100.